0: getting you through the day like a hot cover after lunch. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. The EPL, the English Premier League, has kicked off. Round one is up and underway. And our friend from TalkSport UK and also with Sirius XMFC, he's a great man Tom Rennie and he joins us now. Welcome in.
1: Hello, love to be back with you. Another new season. Here we go. Here we go. I tell you what,
0: we've, just before we talk Premier League, we have had a festive diet of football down here with the FIFA Women's World Cup. It's just creating massive waves down here in New Zealand and Australia. Just wondering about the appetite for it up, up your way.
1: It's been massive. The, the women's national team here in England are like legitimate celebrities. They are... At the level now of celebrity in this country, where they couldn't walk down the street without being recognised, you know, from Mary O'Psin Gold to Chloe Kelly, who's failed us out multiple times in in major games, Alessia Russo, uh, you know, she is uh, right up there in terms of fame. God, she's just gone from Man United to Arsenal, and they've all got you know major campaigns with major sports brands. You know, I was at work. Obviously, I work at Sports, so I suppose it's it's not like incongruous with with uh, where I'm working, but. When we were playing Nigeria and, God, we were terrible, terrible, terrible. But then we got to penalties and then that Chloe Kenny penalty, which is extraordinary. Everybody in the office is watching it. And this is, you know, 17 floors. And I'm speaking to people across the day. The entire office stopped to watch it. It's been uh, brilliant, even though England have not been at their best. Um, and, And we're looking forward to somehow finding a way to beat those Australians. Wouldn't
0: that be fun? Yeah, we are on the edge of our seat. That drama of that Matildas, the Australians' quarters, was just something else. Yeah, incredible. We'll get to uh, the Premier League now. Let's kick off with potentially the best team in the Premier League, West Ham. uh, One all, Bournemouth. (laughs) Are you happy with the start, Tom?
1: (laughs) Oh, I'm delighted you started with this. I mean, look, it, it almost is a bit of a nothing result and a nothing game because West Ham... They're in the middle of this incredible flux in the transfer market. They've sold Deck and Rice, a deal that we knew was coming for a long, long time. Edson Alvarez has come in, but wasn't available for the first game. James Wall-Prowse signed today. There's now talk that Lucas Paqueto is about to join Man City's legion of world-class players. So they're going to have to get a replacement for him. The Harry Maguire story is ongoing. So, you know, it's always good to not lose your first game of the season. Um, and there was a few draws on the opening day because so many teams and so many squads seem not to be ready. And West Ham they only really made one change in the Conference League final, that's four nows for Rice, fit into that category. So happy they didn't lose, but I think the West Ham team we saw at the weekend is not necessarily the team we're going to see come September them at first.
0: Another team um, that's just been thrown into a bit of a turmoil, and he's, he's got a bit of interest, Ange Postacoglu, the, the boss of Tottenham. He lost Harry mm. Kane, it feels like, about five minutes before their first game. It was a bit longer than that and they got a two-all draw with Brentford. How on earth does he fill the gap that Harry Kane leaves?
1: Well, there's two ways of looking at this with uh, Pastor Glue. In uh, the, the first way, the very negative way, is that he has been handed the biggest hospital pass when it comes to managing Tottenham Hotspur in the last decade. Mm. The first manager since um, one day Ramos, maybe, to have to play for, or to manage Tottenham without Harry Kane, and to lose someone like that. You can't replace someone like that. But, This transfer has been dragging on and on and on for years. Harry Kane as the best striker from England for the best part of 30 years, certainly the best striker that Tottenham Hotspur have ever had. One of the best strikers in European football and thereby world football. He had nothing left to achieve at Tottenham and they were clawing onto him for a little bit longer than maybe they should have done. And Kane wouldn't force a move out. He maybe tried a bit with Man City a couple of years ago. It never happened for him. So, now he's gone, Postacogli becomes the first manager in years who can actually do an actual rebuild at Tottenham Hotspur, which they've needed for quite some time. If you go through Mourinho and Conte and the whole uh, ridiculous Nuno Espirito santo thing, they were all trying to get some dying spurts out of Maurizio Pochettino's Champions League final team. And no one could do it because the team was in desperate need of rejuvenation. They've got the near 100 million pounds. They will reinvest it. And, you know, I actually think it's a good thing for Pastor Koglu because the expectation levels at Tottenham have dropped to the floor. And he has got a likeable, endearing almost personality, which kind of makes you want to root for him. And so there's actually more positivity about Tottenham than you'd expect, considering they're just, oh, maybe they're greatest ever player.
0: How patient will the board, will the fans be, though? Like, you're talking about rebuilding, which normally means, you know, a couple of steps backwards for a little while to take three steps forwards. Will the, will he be afforded some patience to rebuild?
1: Well, I think if he was in the relegation zone in Christmas, the answer would be no. If they only won three games by the time he gets to Christmas, the answer would be no. But if Tottenham... Uh safely nestled in mid-table by the time we get to, uh, to, to Christmas in January, I think it'll be absolutely fine. You speak to any Tottenham fan, my brother-in-law is a Tottenham fan, we'll kind of, we speak all the time, they've got no expectation. They don't think they're going to win the league. They don't think they're going to finish in the top four. They don't think they're going to finish in the top six. They don't think they're going to make the conference league. They have no expectation. And that's because they've just sold Kane. Mm. And so anyone who can bring positivity to the club, I think he's going to get more leeway than any manager of the past decade. So I think Pastor Coglu, you know, I kind of lean towards the second reading of of what's happening at Spurs. I think if he can just give them some entertainment, give them a few victories, give them a bit of joy on a Saturday, which been has been lacking for the best part of three seasons, um, and maybe make some shrewd signings in the next couple of weeks to the transfer market as well, I think he, I think he'll be just fine. I think he makes it through this season, and the early times are pretty good for him.
0: I'm going to cherry pick a few of the other results, few of the other teams. Um, the first one: Manchester Sovereign Wealth Fund City three 0 over mm-hmm. over Burnley. Man City doing Man City things once again.
1: Yeah, look, I mean the squad is stronger than anyone else's, which is why it's so annoying. That they're trying to buy Lucas Saka of West Ham because their midfield options going into that game were Kevin De Bruyne. Rodri, Bernardo Silva, Jack Grealish, Calvin Phillips, Phil Foden, um, Cole Palmer. It's just ridiculous. Their strength in depth is ridiculous. And Kevin De Bruyne picks up a hamstring injury, so they're like, oh, boy, they get your best player then. You know, that's just what they can do. And it's really irritating. It's not good for competition. It's not good for the league. And at some point, we're probably going to have to stop it. The trouble is with the Premier League, they don't try and stop it with kind of, Laws and regulations. They just hope another sovereign wealth fund comes along and uh, a sovereign wealth fund comes along to compete with them. And, and suddenly, here you've got the kingdom of Newcastle United. So, you know, they were great. They just brushed Burnley aside like they weren't there. And tell you what, that Newcastle game this weekend coming is going to be quite interesting. That's a massive test for Man City. And if we're going to have a title race this year, we need teams like Newcastle to beat them. If City lose five games, we've got a ball game. If they don't, we don't.
0: Yeah, and Newcastle, you touch on them 5 1, a, a dream start for them.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, the, the interesting thing about the, the Kingdom of Newcastle United is <laughs> that they are building a. What they've done is they've looked at the other, like sovereign wealth funds or, you know, the monopoly money that Todd Bowley is knocking around, pushing that sweet concept of amortization around. And they've looked at all them clubs and gone, what do they do? They come in and they go wild. They buy Neymar and they buy Rabinio and they buy someone for £100 million, Caicedo or whatever. And Newcastle have gone, well, that doesn't seem to work very well. So why don't we gradually, incrementally buy £30 million players, then £40 million players, then £50 million players, then £60 million players? And, £60 million players? Um, and that's what they're doing. So interestingly, they've gone from having Sean Longstaff in midfield last season to. Uh, Tonali playing midfield from AC Milan this season. They've gone from just having Callum Wilson up front to now having Wilson and Alexander Isak. They've gone from Dubravka to Pope in goal. Each position incrementally, gradually, cleverly added to over a period of time. Alain Maxima, a bit of a lightweight, always injured, though skillful, replaced by Harvey Barnes. You know, every single position is getting gradual, clever, well-thought-out upgrades. And if you watch any of the game against Aston Villa at the week. Again. At times, it was quite an even game. And Newcastle, player for player, even despite those improvements, are still not wildly better than the teams around them. You know, I like Bruno gimarish but is he particularly better than Douglas Luiz, who plays for Villa? I think they're relatively even. I like Sven Botman. How much better is he than Pyro Mings? You know, there's elements to this Newcastle team where there's no, like, massive superstars despite those improvements. But they're so well coached, they're so well drilled they feel like they're going in the right direction and they just have an incredible killer instinct. You can't give Newcastle a chance. A lot of teams, they need three, four, five chances to score. Newcastle, give me the chance, it's in the back of the net. And and then that comes with the confidence that they've been given by Eddie Howe and the confidence of Champions League qualification too. I think that's made a massive difference to them. Mm. Um, I think they might struggle a bit with the squad depth when the Champions League comes around, but I wouldn't guarantee it because if there's one thing I think we've all learned the last 18 months, is you can't really bet against Newcastle. Hmm. Uh,
0: Another team, I always like watching, especially early in the season, the teams that have just won promotion um, up into the Premier League. Luton, uh, being that team. And they played Brighton. I've got a special spot for Brighton because one of my best mate's son is in the under-14s academy, I think it is, down at Brighton. Yeah, which, which is great. He's been in it since he was under 10 and he's been in it every year. Um, 4-1, what a welcome for Luton. Just, I guess, shows um, maybe the gulf between the two leagues for the newcomers?
1: The, the gulf is monumental. And not only that, Luton's promotion was a fairytale story in that they had one of the lowest budgets in terms of both wages and player acquisition in the championship, never mind the Premier League. Um, I, I think this year, weirdly, it's probably the worst group of promoted teams we've had for maybe a decade. I think Luton Town, if they get 20 points in the Premier League this season, they would have done well. I don't think they've been able to attract any Premier League quality. I don't think they had a great deal to begin with. I think Sheffield United, are on a similar sort of level. They're finding it difficult to attract players. And and Dai, who was their top scorer last season, sold to Marseille. Sander Berge, their best midfielders, has gone to Burnley inexplicably. And Burnley, you know, I watched the game against Man City. We spoke about earlier on on Friday. You don't make any real learnings from playing Man City in your opening game. But they have six debutants in the team, and yeah, they looked a bit like that at times. We don't have last year's promoted championship team he's changed half of it and the players he's brought in it feels a bit like they're trying to do the money ball thing and maybe it'll work but at the moment i don't see anything there that a premier league team should be scared of i think they'd be lucky to get 30 points vincent company with his profile and the quality of the football last year maybe they'll find a way to get to 32 33 which might be required to stay up but at the moment i think the three that have come up will be the three that go straight back down
0: and finally, Tom, I know we're only round one in. I think we're most people are in agreement that uh, Man City and Newcastle will be in the top four. Who'd be the other two teams' early doors that you think would join them in the top four?
1: Well, I do have some doubts about Newcastle because when the Champions League comes around, it might be difficult for them. I, I'm, I think Arsenal are going to be in the top four. I don't think that they are going to be title contenders as last season. Um, I think that Tekken Rice is a world-class signing and better than Granite Xhaku who played that position. But apart from that, Kai Havertz, Syrian Timber, Timba, I don't know if they're the kind of improvement. Are there any improvement? But the kind of improvement you need to close the gap on Man City. Um, I watched the Man United game on Monday Night Football. I thought they were atrocious, but in classic Man United fashion, they outhoused the a victory and Wolves didn't get a penalty. They absolutely deserved because... You don't get a penalty at Old Trafford for a Stonewall penalty still, <laughs> even in 2023 in the VAR era. But I do think Man United will come good as the season comes on. Uh, I went to chelsea Liverpool the weekend. I think that um, Chelsea still look a bit of a mess. Caicedo and Enzo Fernandez together, good players, but relatively untested, certainly at European level. So are they going to be strong enough to challenge the title? I don't know. Uh, Liverpool still look short at defensive midfielders. Uh, You know, I think that the only thing I'd guarantee is Man City. I think there's another six that could probably do it. Um, And I think of that group, I'd still pick Liverpool, despite the deficiencies they have in holding midfield and their weird inability to attract people to sign for them. Because going forward, the the options from Gakpo to Salah to Sabaslade to Nunez to Jota, Liverpool are going to batter some teams this season. when it comes to big games, I have my doubts at the moment, but it's still Jurgen Klopp. I still think they'll get it right at some point.
0: Brilliant, Tom. Always enjoy talking football. We'll do it again soon.
1: As long as we start with West Ham, as this time, I'm happy.